Why don't we jump into the word today? We are in our collection on Sabbath, and I want us to open to Genesis 2, 2 to 3. We've been reading this every Sunday, so it's been the only verse that we've been reading the last four weeks, so I hope you're not too bored of it, but we're going to go to verse 2, and this is what it says. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God made the seventh day. He made all of, all of creation. And then on the seventh day, he blessed it. And it says he made it holy. I want you to think about this throughout all of the Bible. This is the first mention of the word holy. This is the first time the word holy is used in scripture, and it's used to describe a day. In the ancient world, the gods were found in the world of space, not of time. Meaning, if you wanted to find the gods, you needed to go to that physical place, whether it's on the mountain or in the sacred temple or in that holy cave. But there's something significant that's happening here. God doesn't make a holy place. He makes a holy day. Rabbi Abraham Heschel, who writes a lot about Sabbath, he calls Sabbath architecture in time. He calls them the the great cathedrals because Sabbaths are the dwelling place of God. For God, the entire cosmos is his temple. He's literally everywhere. So if you want to find God, the great thing is you don't need to climb another mountain. You don't need to go to a holy temple. You don't need to travel to a shrine. You don't need to come here to Verdi Club where we try to transform the Italian nightclub into a church. You don't need to go to a place to meet with God. You simply have to say, God, I'm giving you my time. I'm giving you this intentional space in this hour to meet with you. The emphasis isn't on a place to meet God. It's time. And this is great news because this means we can meet God anywhere. But it requires us to set aside time to come awake and come alive in his presence. Does that make sense? And so God, he's not found in a place He's found in time. Now, in Hebrew, the word holy is kodash. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it sounds right. Kodash, which literally means unique or special or uncommon. A theological definition might be to set aside for God's special purposes. I think when we think of holy, we tend to think of morality, like what's right, what's wrong, what's sin, what's not sin. We think of moral goodness when we think of the word holy. And while it can mean that, in this context, it's less about morality and more about uniqueness. It's less about what's right and what's wrong and more about what's special, right? A day can't be morally good or bad. I mean, we could call a day good or bad, but morally, it can't be good or bad. A day can't be morally good or bad, but it can be normal or unique. Now, you know what's crazy? When I go to Target, um, towards the end of last year, right after Christmas, the week before New Year, I step into Target. You know what they're setting up already? Valentine's Day stuff. Isn't that crazy? It's like two months out. New Year's, they just gloss over it, and they're already putting up Valentine's Day decorations, all the candy, everything they have you. And for me, Valentine's Day is really special because Krista and I, I don't know y'all couples if you guys have like traditions, but Krista and I, we're trying to get on BuzzFeed one day if they're still around. But every year, our thing is instead of going to like a fancy restaurant, paying hundreds of dollars dressing up we dress up nice 
And then we bring the fancy to random beat down fast food restaurants. And so our first year we went to the Chick-fil-A and then we pulled out like a tablecloth, lit some candles. We were dressed in our best through candy hearts and decorations and flowers. One day I'm going to hire a violinist. We'll see when, but we've been doing that every year. We did McDonald's the next year. We did in and out. And that's just kind of our thing that we don't need to go to a fancy place to enjoy each other. We're going to bring the fancy wherever we go, but we only do that on Valentine's Day. Every other Sabbath, we're spending a lot of money to eat really good food. This week, uh, Rena actually uh, Venmoed us money. So sweet of you so that we can rest and eat really well. And we ate really well. But on this Valentine's Day, we do something special. It's a day unlike any other day. And in the same way, Sabbath is to be a unique day. It's supposed to be uncommon. There's something special about it. In the ancient world, there were like holy pots and pans and holy utensils that they set aside in the tabernacle for special use, right? It was specifically set aside for something special. They weren't like ordinary utensils that you use every day when you're eating cup ramen back in the ancient world. No, it was set aside for special purposes. At our house, um, we have... um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but you know that really fancy soap, Aesop? Yeah, we have Aesop soap, and for some reason, Krista won't let us use it unless guests come over. And so it's literally under the cabinet. And I get it, because, like, you know, Zion, I don't want him to be using the fancy. Like, Zion doesn't need that. But, but we only use the good soap when our guests come over. It's set aside for special purposes. In the same way, the Sabbath is to be holy or uncommon, or special, or set apart from the rest of the week. So if your Sabbath looks like any of the other six days of the week, you're doing it wrong. It's supposed to be uniquely set apart. It's supposed to be special and uncommon. It's supposed to be different and set apart. But the question is set apart for what? Now I want us to go to Exodus 16.23. This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now this can be translated as set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. In other words, Sabbath is a day that's set aside, not just for rest, not just for celebration, not just for stopping, but set aside for God. It's a day for worship. Right, We've been kind of going through our rhythms of Sabbath, stop, rest, delight. The fourth one is worship. Sabbath is a day set apart for worship. Now, I know when we think about worship, we're thinking about singing and like we're thinking about Gabby killing that song, absolutely murdering that song and doing so well. When we think of worship, we think of lifting up hands and jumping, but worship is so much more. Worship at its core is to orient or reorient our entire lives toward God. It's saying this can look like singing, but it can also look like giving our time. It can look like giving our resources or our attention or our affection to God. Anything we do to center God in our hearts is a form of worship. Now, in the rhythms of Sabbath that we've been covering, there's almost like this progression, right? First, we stop. 
And we talked about that our first week. We stop. We stop work. We cease working. We stop wanting for once in our lives. And so we stop so that we can enter into rest. Most of us can't rest because we don't know how to stop. Most of us can't rest because we're moving so fast and we need to slow down and stop and say, I'm going to set aside this time to rest. And so we stop so we're able to rest. And when we rest, our energy comes back so that we delight again. You know, I told you when I tried to watch um, Dune last year, I was so tired because my baby had just been born that when I went into the movie theater, I fell asleep in the first 10 minutes, woke up in the last 10 minutes. It was a phenomenal movie, but I could not enjoy it. I could not delight in it because I was too tired. Some of us have not delighted because we're tired. And all we need is rest to have the energy and the life again to say, I'm going to celebrate life. I'm going to delight again. And so as we stop, we learn to rest. As we rest, we're able to delight. But how many of you know that as we delight, what it's meant to propel us into is this gratitude and wonder and worship for the goodness of God. Come on. Have you ever enjoyed something so much that you're like, God is real. Like you had that meal. And as soon as you took that bite, I'm like, I've been an atheist all my life, but mm, God is real. Or you went on that hike and you saw that view and you're like, God, I can't deny that you're real. Look at all of this, right? True delight is more than selfish hedonistic pleasure. True delight should propel us into gratitude and wonder and awe. And so there's this progression. As we stop, we rest. As we rest, we delight. And as we delight, it should lead us into what we're talking about today, worship. Really long quote by Ruth Haley Barton. She has a section of of, um, Sabbath in one of her books. And this is what she says. I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something. Good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight and delight turn into gratitude and gratitude into worship. See, when the Jews, when they talk about Sabbath, they, they don't just talk about practicing the Sabbath. The word that they use is they talk about keeping the Sabbath or observing the Sabbath. In Exodus 28, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Keeping the Sabbath. Almost like the image it should evoke is like keeping this treasure that you have to protect or guard over or, or watch over. Keeping the day, keeping the Sabbath unique and set apart. Keeping the day special, protecting its sacredness, guarding its uniqueness. See, when we treat the Sabbath just like any other day, doing what we please, we profane it. It's no longer holy or set apart. And the question I want to ask you today is, do you profane the Sabbath or do you keep it? Do you guard it in your heart to make sure that it doesn't lose its uniqueness. And so today I want to spend the rest of our time just diving into three expressions of how Sabbath can be worship, how it could be set apart for this holy purpose. Go 49ers. Okay, number one, I'm getting all these like text notifications from my friends that should be in church. Jacob literally just texted, I'm just kidding, he didn't text me. 
All right, number one, Sabbath is a day set apart to pay attention. Sabbath is a day set apart to make room to listen. And think about this. If Sabbath is truly a day set apart for something different or special, how much more should we like look forward to it? I don't know about you, but I really look forward to my birthdays because my I'm, I'm an experienced guy. I'm an Enneagram type seven. I love gifts, but I love experiences more than anything. Last year, Krista surprised me with the last minute trip to Vegas and we went to see this really cool art exhibit, Omega Mart that I've been wanting to go see. And we had this amazing time and I just love experiences. So my birthdays have become a day that I look forward to because on this day, I know it's going to be something special. What if every week we look forward to one day out of the seven days because we know it's supposed to be something special? And what if that one day we really believe that God has set it apart for something unique? How much more would we approach that day with excitement, with eager anticipation, and we would be genuinely curious, God, what do you want to do this day? What do you want to do in my heart? What do you want to speak? What do you want to say? What do you want to show me? What do you want me to experience? What do you want me to feel? What if we could have that sort of anticipation because it's a day set apart to pay attention to what God wants to give me? I want you to think about like an encounter you had with God. Not like, um, oh, like I went to church. No, like something real that like, really moved you, that like really impacted your life, like changed the trajectory of your life. Think about a moment that you had where you had an encounter with the real living God. How much did it change you? How much did it move you? How much did it transform you? How much did it change the trajectory of your life? I don't know if you know the story of how we came up with our church name. It was on the Sabbath. It was on a Sunday. Uh, Back when we weren't working at church for a few months, we had Sundays as Sabbath. And what we did is we visited different churches in the morning, and then we got together to pray with our church at night. But I remember on one Sunday, we were um, lamenting because our previous church, I felt like the name we came up with was Fire. We called it Sons and Daughters. We actually used to meet in this building. And I was like, oh, we're never going to come up with a better name than sons and daughters. We call it soda for short. Like we got the acronym going, the branding's on point. How are we ever going to top that? And I remember we were kind of discouraged. Like there's no other name that kind of clicks. And we were actually at, you know, our last venue that we used to meet at the farm. There used to be a church that met there before us. And we were at one of their services and we were sitting in service. And the preacher was a good friend of mine, Craig. He uh, busts out the Bible and he, he shares a verse that I never heard before. I forget where it was, but the verse literally was, and I will give you a name better than sons and daughters. You know, that's in the Bible. They're talking to the eunuch. It was great. And I was like, oh, and there was like a name that we had been thinking about 99. And you know, what's crazy later in his message. He's like, all right, let's just end with this verse. They open up the Bible this story about Jesus leaving the 99 to go after the one. I was like, God, you real. I'm talking about those kind of moments. Have you had an encounter, a real undeniable encounter with God that changed your life? What if, what if, just dream with me here. Once a week, we created a space where those moments could happen. And it doesn't mean it happens every week. But we're faithful and disciplined enough to create the space to say, God can do it on this day. And he probably will. 
a day where a life-changing encounter with the living God is possible, where we could hear the voice of the Father, where we could receive that one word that changes everything. Listen, that's a good percentage, a probability that we're having life-changing encounters with God one-seventh of our lives. And it doesn't mean the other six days it's impossible to hear God's voice or be moved or changed. But at least on this one day, I'm going to say all distractions aside, I'm setting my focus and my gaze and my attention on you to speak, God. On this one day, here I am. On this one day, I'm open and I'm listening. You have my attention. Would you speak? So Sabbath is a day set apart to pay attention. The second, Sabbath is a day set apart to surrender. I think this is a really hard one for us because we're, we're people that love to take matters into our own hands. When something's going wrong in our lives, I need to fix it. When something's going on in our world, I need to carry the weight of that burden. And we should, we should be responsible. But one day a week, we stop striving. One day a week, we stop trying to make it happen for ourselves by ourselves. Sabbath is a day to say, I surrender. And this is hard. Sabbath is a day to say, God, today, I accept things the way that they are. And I say, God, I trust you. It doesn't mean that I disconnect my heart from whatever it is that I'm believing for. It doesn't mean that I'm ignoring it. It's simply a new perspective saying on this day, I posture myself in such a way where I say, I can't do it alone. We can't figure this out on our own. Come on, we've been at this for so long. How many mass shootings have we gone through? If, if, if the world's taught us anything, if, if this era's taught us anything, is we, we just can't figure it out. We, we, we're incapable of setting it right. We need something more. Now, doesn't mean we disconnect from the issue. Doesn't mean we stop taking responsibility and action, no. But what we say is six days I devote to that. But on one day, I posture myself to say, I can't do without you, God. I surrender and I invite you into this. It's not resignation. It's not I give up because the problem is too great. It's not, it's impossible to forget about it, God. It's I need you, God. It's I can't do it on my own. It's I'm going to do all I can six days of the week. But on this one day, I surrender and confess my need for you. I trust you. Sabbath is a day to surrender. Dallas Willard, he has this really great definition of grace that says, God doing in me, for me, and through me, what I can't do for myself. Sabbath is a day to enter into grace, to lay down our swords and lift up our eyes and and look upon where our help comes from. It means to stop fighting and believing for the salvation of that family member, to stop fighting uh, for our jobs, to stop fighting for the things that we've been working on and working towards today to say, I surrender this to you, God, and I trust you with my life, with everything that's on my heart. Sabbath is a day set apart to surrender. And the final thing, Sabbath is a day set apart to center. All week long, so many things are competing for our worship. I have a really long quote, but just pretend they're my words so you know you, you connect with it. It's by this uh, man named David Foster Wallace, and he writes about this. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. 
There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Damn, that's really harsh. Worship power, (laughs) and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Look. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day. I don't know. When I read that, that's terrifying. Like an unconscious worship that we gradually slip into day after day that becomes our default setting. The question isn't, are you worshiping? The question is, what are you worshiping? We are all worshiping something. And here's the thing, what we worship determines what kind of life we experience. And if we're not careful or intentional about where we place our worship, we will become the kind of people and live the kind of lives that we didn't want. Sabbath is beautiful, but it's also scary because Sabbath reveals what we actually worship. It reveals what's been occupying our minds and our hearts all week long. This is why we see it on Sabbath. Why you see it when you can't pull away from your work, right? When you can't put down your work for a day, what it tells you is I've been worshiping work all week long. It tells us when we can't put down our phones and can't stop scrolling through TikTok or Instagram. It tells us I've been setting all of my heart on social media and on entertainment all week long. Sabbath reveals what we worship, but it also gives us an opportunity to recenter ourselves on the most important thing to say, God, I may not have been worshiping you. You might not have been the most important thing the last six days, but one day of the week, I have an opportunity to repent and to recenter my heart and my affection on you. And remember, Sabbath is not about a day. It's a day that leads to a different experience throughout the rest of the week. And so Sabbath is a day set apart for worship to cultivate a spirit of worship all week long. And so it's an opportunity to recenter ourselves and our hearts upon God and live out the next six days worshiping him as well. See, the truth is the deepest rest and delight that we could ever find is in God himself. Whether you realize it or not, church, and hopefully that's the reason why you're here, something deep inside of you, you know that there is a craving deep in our being that only God could satisfy. Like we've tried it every other way, but the, I hope the reason why you're here is like, I, I need God. Like There's something in me that, that is incomplete without him. 
And I think we spend so much of our lives trying to fill that longing with other things. But on Sabbath, we recenter ourselves to say, God, only you can satisfy. Only you can fulfill my heart. But it's hard, right? Because how many of you ever come to church and it's like, I know I'm supposed to want God, but like, I, I don't want God. You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm supposed to feel like good about worshiping, but I I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like God. I I don't feel like I want God to be the most important thing. Sabbath is what some theologians call arduous good. And what arduous good is, is, um, it's this concept that says there are some good things that are hard, or there are some good things that don't feel good immediately. Right? People don't neglect Sabbath because they don't think it's good. People neglect Sabbath because it's hard. Right? We don't not do it because we don't think it's good. Like, of course, Sabbath is amazing. It's great in theory. But when you actually try to practice it, it's actually really hard. There's this dangerous ideology in our culture that says if it doesn't feel good, it's not good. Right? Why deny yourself? It's harmful and toxic to do that. What what should be good should always feel good immediately, but that's not always the case. There are some kind of goods that don't come easy. There's some kind of goods that don't always feel good. Great example, my beautiful baby boy. Parenting is good. Like, ask me, do you like parenting? Do you love your son? Yes, it's good, but it's hella hard. It's not fun. And there are moments where it doesn't feel good. When Zion is up in the middle of the night throwing a tantrum, I know it's good, and I know my soul delights in it, but it doesn't feel good. There are some kinds of good that don't feel good immediately. There's some kind of goods that it takes work, it's hard, it's arduous, but once you actually go through the pain and the, heart, the, the hardness of trying to cultivate that good, there is beauty that comes out of it. Dr. Gary Brashears, who actually teaches here in the Bay Area, he says, your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. There are deep desires within us that don't always feel like our strongest desires, Right? Emotions, they're great servants, but they're horrible masters. Sabbath says, even though I may not feel like it right now, even though I don't feel like it in my life, you are what my heart desires, God. Sabbath invites us to center our lives around the one who gives us life to the full. It reorients us to place our worship where it truly belongs. And so... Uh, Two practices, and these are the last two practical things we're going to leave you with for Sabbath. The first is this. On your Sabbath this week, practice fixed hour prayer. What does that mean? Pause two or three times during your Sabbath to pray. And you don't have to go into like, oh, Lord, I pray for the name. Like, you don't need to do that kind of prayer. It's not intense intercession. You don't have to make intense spiritual warfare against the principalities of the world. No, I'm talking about two or three times a day. Just pause for a minute, maybe five, however much you're feeling, and just pray in the wider sense of reorienting your heart to God. Just take a moment and say, God, I just want to think of all the things I'm thankful for. I want to rest in your goodness. God, I want to take one minute of this day to just become aware that you're here with me, that I am in your presence. One of the most ancient and helpful ways that we can do this is also praying the Psalms, as we did earlier. We actually have a resource. I forgot to put it up there, but we'll include it in the email. We have a whole list of like different themes and topics and the Psalms that uh, connect to them. And so maybe you're 
two to three times a day, you'll just look at what am I feeling? Like, do I feel anger? Do I feel grateful? Do I feel injustice? Do I feel sad? And you'll just pray the Psalm in that moment, but just take two to three moments a day and just pray. The end goal is communion with God. This can also look like listening to worship music or praying with a friend or just taking a walk in nature or sitting in silence. Just reorient your heart to his presence and rest in his goodness. And the second thing is this. Choose one or two practices by which you enjoy God and do them. So we're not talking about like high fruit. Like we're talking about low level fruits, things that come easy between you and God, ways that you can enjoy God on the day of Sabbath. It's so important that we discover what some theologians call your spiritual pathway, or it's the way that you're uniquely wired to enjoy God. Like, um, I don't, I haven't known Jerry long, not long, but I, I feel like Jerry, like you really enjoy Bible studies is what I've heard. Is that true? <laughs> For this example, we'll say Jerry loves Bible studies. The way I enjoy God the most is actually through music or through films. And I'm not talking about like trashy films where I'm binging, but like, like independent A24 films or like, or like Pixar films or like, oh, God is speaking, right? We all are uniquely wired to enjoy God in different ways. What is the way that you connect with God? What are one or two practices you can do on the Sabbath to do that? For this, for you, this could be time alone in stillness or it could be throwing a party for your community or it could be reading a book or it could be walking and it could be so many things, but what practices help you enjoy God? And, you know, this changes season to season. Um, Krista and I, we're in a season where we're really enjoying board games. We just bought this board game called Jaipur. Have you guys heard of it? It's really fun. Um, But we've been just doing that. But, like, a year ago, it was video games. Like, we played Overcooked. We played different things. And so what we enjoy with each other changes season to season. And maybe for you, this is a season where what worked before doesn't work anymore. And you need a new thing to enter into to enjoy God's presence. To close, um, I want to five four questions that we could ask with in, in alignment with the themes and the rhythms of Sabbath we've been talking about. To ask yourself, is this practice helpful or hurtful in what I'm trying to accomplish during Sabbath? The first is with the theme of stop. Is this ceasing what I do on normal weekdays? In other words, if you play games and enjoy games all week long, um, even though you enjoy games, do something different on the Sabbath. Make it unique. Make it something special. Or like play that other game that you only play on the Sabbath. I don't know. Rest. Is this restful? Does it refill my soul with new energy emotionally? When I do this practice, when I do these things, do I feel recharged? Delight. Does this activity bring me joy in God? Do I find myself naturally happy and grateful and connected to God as I do it? And the last question, worship. Does this activity connect me more deeply to God and his goodness and beauty? However you enjoy God and whatever the practices you love, do a few of them this coming Sabbath. Y'all got that? Awesome. I'm going to close with this uh, quote from Rabbi Abraham Heschel. We heard from him earlier. He says, unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated into the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal. And the seventh day in time is an example of eternity.
Theologians, they look at Sabbath and say it's both backward and forward in time. What do I mean by that? Sabbath is an aftertaste of the Garden of Eden, right? It should bring the recollection in the garden. There was rest and joy and delight and worship, but it's also a foretaste of the new Jerusalem, of God coming again to restore all things. And so on Sabbath, you literally get to taste eternity. For some of us, our palates do not enjoy the taste of eternity because we're so, we've binged on the present reality so much. Um, I don't know if you think this way too, but I feel like I have a really different palate from when I was a broke college student. Do you, do you guys think about that sometimes? Like when I was in college at UC Davis, like there was this taco place and I was like, these are amazing. Best tacos I ever had. Had them again recently, and they were garbage. Like, they were not good. I was like, what was I thinking? I think sometimes the taste on our tongue constantly is of the temporal, present reality that we actually don't have a hunger for eternity. But Sabbath reorients our palate to the taste of what we're going to be enjoying for all of time, a preview of the eternal Sabbath that is to come where rest won't just be a drop in an ocean of exhaustion. Rest will be the ocean. Delight will be our only experience. In a sense, Sabbath isn't just a day. Remember Sabbath, Walter Brueggemann, he says people who Sabbath live all seven days differently. And so it's a day of rest that cultivates a spirit of rest all week long. It's a day of delight that cultivates a spirit of delight all week long. It's a day of worship that cultivates a spirit of worship all week long. And so as we conclude this collection, this is our fourth year teaching on the Sabbath. I know some of you are just trying it for the first time. Maybe five years is the golden number when you actually do implement it. But I really challenge you this year. Just try to make space one day in the week, even if it isn't a full 24 hours. You could start with 12. Just set aside a time to stop, rest, delight, and worship. Right now, why don't we close um, with a time of response? And I want to invite us to these four, sorry, these three expressions of worship. The first is a day set apart to pay attention. I know for many of us, today is your Sabbath day. And so today, what would it look like if you were to pay attention? What would it look like if you were today to say, God, I'm here, I'm open, and I'm listening? What might God say? What might God do? I want you to take a moment right now. And just pray that simple prayer. God, I'm here. I'm open. I'm listening. Would you speak to me? I'm here. I'm open. Would you speak to me? What does God want you to know? What is the thing that God has set aside to give you on this special day? What does he want to speak to you? What does he want you to become aware of? I feel like for some of us that have come in here, 
the thing God wants you to know is he's delighted in you. And just as he rested on the seventh day and looked all upon creation and said, it is good. Today, he looks upon you, child, and says, you are good. You are good. I delight in you, my creation. Second, Sabbath is a day set apart to surrender. I think there's something to be said in our fight towards justice and equality in our world. There is a sense in which we can almost hijack and and do it, try to do it all in our own strength. And you know, the world does that and they do it pretty well. But I think the unique vantage point that the church offers is yes, we're not going to be lazy. Yes, we're not going to disengage and we're going to do work. We're going we're gonna to do what it takes until we see justice in our world, in our cities, in our neighborhoods. But I think the unique thing that we bring as believers is we are fully aware that we're not doing this alone. That there is a God who cares, whose heart burns a million times brighter for justice and shalom in our world than we could ever feel. There's a God who is coming once again to make things right. There is a God whose heart breaks on behalf of all those who are marginalized, oppressed. And I believe that the unique thing that the church can offer is that we can say we're not in this alone. That God cares for this and God wants to move upon this. And so today is a day to surrender. I think for some of us, it might be the thing that we've been stressed about all week. I know many of us, many of you guys are in between jobs because of the mass layoffs that are happening in tech right now. I know for many of you, you're planning for your future. What's next? What city? I know many of us are planning our finances. There are some people in here getting ready to start family and have their baby. There's so many things that we worry about that we work toward throughout the week. I know with the recent mass shootings and the video of Tyree Nichols, all of these things are weighing on our hearts, but today is a day to surrender. It's a day to say, God, I need you. It's a day to say, not because I'm tired or because I'm going to stop caring or it's impossible or it's hopeless, but it's almost a deeper expression of faith to say, God, I give you this today because I believe and I trust you are going to do it. What is it that you need to surrender today? Just take a moment and just visually offer that up to God. In your mind's eye, whatever it might be, God, I surrender my job. God, I surrender my career. God, I surrender my family. God, I surrender all the work that needs to get done around the house. God, I surrender all the brokenness in this world. God, I surrender it all to you. And last thing, God says today, Sabbath is a day set apart to, to center The Quakers used to call this a holy center. It's the thing that our entire lives gravitate around toward, the most important thing. The psalmist called it the one thing. Today is a day we recenter our affection and our love and our worship toward God.